Welcome to this week's edition of Bowl Season Stories. I'm Nick Carparelli, the Executive Director of Bowl Season. And each week, different guests from the world of college football join me to talk about current topics in the sport, as well as discuss what they remember most about their bowl game experiences. Today, we are joined by SEC Network college football play-by-play commentator Tom Hart and college football playoff executive director Bill Hancock. We only have two weeks left in the regular season, and actually bowl season stories will be off next week over Thanksgiving. So when we're back on December 2nd, hard to believe this, but the regular season will be over. We'll be looking ahead to the conference championship games and to bowl season. Can't believe how fast it's gone by, but I can't think of a better guest to have on the show at this time of year to talk about this season and to talk about the upcoming games and then obviously some bowl season experiences than than Tom Hart. Tom, welcome to the show. Nick, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. So as we come down the home stretch uh, of the 2021 regular season, uh, so many great memories so far, especially coming off of a tough 2020. What have been your biggest observation of the season so far? Man, I just, uh, I can't, I can't thank the fans enough for, for being there. You know, we, we certainly missed them last year, but obviously last year was uh, so disruptive for everyone in, in our lives every day that to me, uh, the disruptions that came to college football were, were an afterthought with everything that we had to deal with in our real lives. And so while we knew the game was different and it was a shame that as broadcasters, for the most part, we weren't allowed to travel and, and there were fan limitations. If, fan attendance at all it was just kind of accepted like we were just happy to have the games and then early this season it was probably um, late September it really hit me uh, just how important fans are to this game and how they can impact games we had Mississippi State at Texas A&M this was the week before A&M upset Alabama and um, the the influence that the 12th man had in that game especially in the second half when A&M was trying to come back and forcing Mississippi State into mistakes was undeniable. And when you get into a college football stadium where the crowd becomes almost a living, breathing organism, you have a better appreciation for what they are, the, the time commitment that fans give to this game and, and what fans represent as shareholders. And so there's big picture, right, that we got them back in the stadium and, and it was great to see smiling faces and families and fathers and sons and daughters and moms and cheerleaders and bands and all of that stuff. Um, but more so just reminded me that not only can they impact the game, but, but they're part of the game and they're part of the fabric of college football. And uh, it didn't take long for me to experience that from, from my broadcast booth. What, what are your uh, what's your take on the parity we're seeing in college football this year? I think one of the knocks on the playoff in its first seven years is that we're seeing the same teams. Now, you know that that could end up uh, to be the case again, but it does seem that, seem that there's a lot more teams in the mix this year than there usually is. Yeah, great question, Nick. I thought last year with um, with the interruption that COVID provided from season prep to player and personnel availability to the coaching impact that it had and and just getting ready for games that that last year would have been the year for parity. But I think a couple factors are are part of this. Number one, the transfer portal, you know, teams were allowed to fill holes and, and you didn't have to be an elite team to fill your holes or to identify where you needed spots filled, uh, you know, not to throw anybody under the bus, but there are some elite programs and national championship coaches who have said, you know what, the transfer portal 
is it for us? And I feel like they're behind the bus in a lot of, in a lot of ways. And then there's other teams that would be middle of the pack without impact players that they were able to give an opportunity to. So that's, that's certainly part of it. I also thought that the interruption last year carried over in, in many ways to motivation, to uh, guys being in shape at the beginning of the season, to returning to play. Um, and I think that you're seeing more of an opportunity for great coaches to impact the game. Dave Clawson at Wake Forest jumps to mind right off the bat to get off the start that they got off to and, and to carry an undefeated record so deep in the season certainly should be appreciated for a program that historically hasn't had that level of success. So I think there's a lot of different reasons for it. I also don't think we're done, right? I mean, here we are the week before Thanksgiving um, outside of Georgia. And by the way, they still have likely the second ranked team in the country, Alabama meeting up with them in Atlanta. Um, so, so nothing's guaranteed there. But really outside of Georgia, I think everything's a toss up. And I, it reminds me of the 2007 season where everything was just a, a total circus at the end of the year. And, and we didn't know who was playing for a national championship until that final Saturday ended. I, I think we're in for more disruption and more upsets before we even get to bowl season. Yeah, I think you're right. These last few weeks in the conference championship games are going to be so much fun to watch. So many implications uh, for the postseason. Now you're you're part of a three man crew on SEC Saturday night. Yourself, Cole Kubelik, Jordan Rogers. You've been together as a crew since 2017. It looks like you guys have a lot of fun working together. There's no doubt. There's a lot of chemistry there. What's the secret for the three of you? Uh, that's a great question. I think th there is no secret in when it comes to success in any industry no matter what you do but I think there is when it comes to teamwork and that's that's hard work and knowing that the person next to you whether you're working on a special project or working on a television broadcast or you know paving the road on a hot summer day you need to make sure that that person has put in the same amount of work as you do and that they have a passion for that job and that they want to work hard to be the best at it so that's certainly what what those two have in common you know we're we're, we're very busy in our own lives in a lot of different ways, whether it's raising families or other jobs. Cole has a, a daily radio show in Birmingham on WJOX. Jordan has all sorts of other broadcasts and business ventures, and including SEC Nation on Saturday morning. I'm already in the midst of basketball season, had a game last night. We'll have one Friday night at Georgia before I head over to Oxford. So there will always be times where your prep is interrupted. And what I get out of this trio is that I know that if I have a weekend where I haven't been able to do the prep that I expect and that, that um, I value, I know that those guys are there and they've got my back. And I think, I think that's the secret to it. The other part of it is, we all love college football. I think we're the only broadcast crew in college football where we all played. Now, here's my disclaimer. They both played and started in the SEC. I played at the Division II level for like a half a minute. But that background, I think, helps all of us have this natural curiosity when we talk to coaches and players um, because we want to know what they're thinking. We want to know what goes into a game plan. And we have, we have this... Um, I don't know, this, this thirst for knowledge because there's always more to learn. And I, I hopefully that comes across in the broadcast and that camaraderie and chemistry is a big part of it. It does for sure. I enjoy watching you guys. I think you, the three of you are, are an asset to the game of college football for sure. 
you mentioned the, uh, how busy you guys are, you know, you've kind of, you know, kind of settled into a nice role with the SEC network, but you still do a lot of different things. I think you've proven to be a pretty versatile guy uh, in, in your profession. Is that something you enjoy? Yeah, I love it. I, I love having different seasons. You know, um, I grew up in the Midwest, so I was used to different seasons, right? There's a distinct difference when you grow up in Missouri in summer, fall, winter, spring. And so I like having the uh, ability to kind of shift modes and go from the College World Series in Omaha to maybe some MLB games and then football rolls around and then I'm deep into into basketball. It keeps me fresh. And, and I guess you wouldn't be surprised, but the thirst for information when it comes to college football knows no bounds. It's, it's not uncommon for me, let's say, to go into a, a Tennessee basketball practice and Rick Barnes wants to talk about what's going on in the college football world. Or John Calipari, every time I'm at Kentucky, wants to talk about college football. When I, I covered the Braves for a few years, that locker room was full of SEC guys and college football guys who wanted to talk about what was happening that weekend with Mississippi State or Alabama or Auburn, whatever their sport was or their team was like, there's this, there's this passion for the game of, uh, of college football that, that I'm able to weave throughout my year um, because people enjoy watching. Now this uh, podcast is called bowl season stories. So uh, I want to shift gears in that direction a little bit. You've called several bowl games in your career. Uh, tell us what's different about prepping and calling a bowl game. Uh, what stands out to you when you get the opportunity to, to cover and call, call a bowl game and any, any great memories from, from those, those games? Oh, I mean, a, a ton of great memories. We saw uh, Lamar Jackson kind of burst on the scene in music city bowl, his freshman year, didn't know what to expect. He was sensational. Um, uh, yeah. Johnny Manziel, I watched as a fan, actually, but one of my favorite days in college football, I called the independence bowl and then um, jumped on a plane out of Shreveport to Atlanta. I had my Uber driver just drop my luggage off at home. And I went on to the game and uh, watched Johnny Manziel run away, uh, run around against Duke in a, in a game that was over, I think, right at 100 points in scoring and like 1,200 yards of total offense. Um, but what stands out to me is that the bowl season, the games that I cover, when when you're not playing for a national championship, it's it's viewed many times as an opportunity. I think there are guys who maybe they're injured during the season or maybe the starters have, have moved on or the stars have said, you know what, I, I want to get ready for the NFL. Um, interim coaches get these incredible opportunities to, to lead a team when the head coach has moved on. And so you always, I don't say always, but it's, it's not a common to get a hero that jumps up that you didn't expect or that didn't have a, a great regular season. And then when the spotlight is on them, they have a chance to, um, to really grab that spotlight and be a star player. I think it also leads, and we can talk about this a little bit if you want it. It also leads to an opportunity for, for great comebacks because, because of the layoff, whether that's, um, you know, two weeks, three weeks, a month, that there are times where teams come in and they don't fire in all cylinders early or they run out of gas late that opens a door for some really exciting games. And they just, when you think it, it might be done, they never seem to end. Yeah, I have noticed that. And I think you're right. It, it could stem from uh, a lot of younger players getting an opportunity. Maybe the, the opponent didn't prepare for something and by halftime they figure it out and they, they come back. But uh, you know, we Todd, we talk a lot about uh, all the bowl games on the show and how meaningful they are for the people who participate. It's not, 
it, not every game has to factor into the national championship picture during bowl season for it to be meaningful for the student athletes, especially those seniors that are playing the last game and for the communities that host these games. They're so proud to have that game in their community and to have two teams from different parts of the country come to their town so they could watch them. It's, it's, uh, it's a special uh, time of year in, in the sports calendar, in our opinion. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, um, and those opportunities that, that we get as broadcasters to, to pop into the city and to see how much it means to those players, um, whether it's, you know, team talent competition, uh, a talent show that they have or a rib eating contest, whatever it might be at that locality. Um, I just want to pop this one in. We're talking about um, comebacks and, and I had the opportunity to call the Armed Forces Bowl in, in 2015, Houston and Pittsburgh. James Conner was a great running back for, for Pittsburgh at the time. But both of these teams ended up with interim coaches, which was interesting at the time. But we, we kind of thought the game was over. Uh, Pittsburgh led 17 to six at the half and then 24 to six. And there's 11 minutes left in the clock. Like we, it was, it wasn't just the start of the fourth quarter, like five minutes into the fourth quarter. And it's a 25 point advantage for Pittsburgh. Like it's, it's close the laptop, put the charts away, you know, double check the flight. We're going to make it to DFW in time. And all of a sudden, Houston starts going off, and they outscore Pittsburgh 29-10 to 10 in the fourth quarter. This incredible comeback. Um, at the time, the biggest fourth-quarter comeback in bowl history. I think that changed a couple years later uh, with TCU in Oregon, which was another game that I was uh, part of the broadcast crew on. So uh, it's the excitement level is always, is always there because you never quite know what to expect. Has your crew already been assigned a bowl game for this year? Do you know what's on the docket for you guys? That is a, uh, a million-dollar question, Nick. There's a chance we have been assigned a bowl game, but we haven't been told what that is. So uh, it, rem it remains to be seen where we, where we end up. We had a chance to do the Outback Bowl last year uh, with Indiana and Ole Miss, and it was, uh, you know, it was fun to do New Year's Day game. Uh, Cole Kublik, who's uh, on the sideline for us, I thought it was the perfect, I mean, the, the ideal sponsor integration. I've never seen anything like it. We cut to him, and at one point in the third quarter, he's literally in the stands eating a blooming onion. I mean, what's what's better than that for the Outback Bowl? I'm sure the executive director uh, was very happy with you guys. Well, that, that begs the question, then. If you don't know what bowl game you're going to, and you could pick a bowl game to work based on integrating the title sponsor into the broadcast, which one would it, would it be? Well, um, Tropical, tropical smoothie cafe, Frisco Bowl, baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of the Bahamas. If anybody wants to send me there, especially in December, I'd be I'd be good with that. Um, you could always put you could always pair that Outback Bowl with the Duke's Mayo Bowl. I mean, those two would go together pretty good. That's not a bad idea. One. That's not a bad idea. But I have to say that for our crew, the perfect integration. You know, we we have a guy on our crew and Jordan Rogers, who, who we think of first and foremost as a television broadcaster, a sportscaster, the quarterback who played at, at Vanderbilt, but we certainly understand his Q rating um, may belong in another bucket. So for someone who was on the bachelorette and accepted a rose, I'm beginning to think the only one that really fits us would be the one played in Pasadena and the granddaddy of them all. That would make a lot of sense. 
that would make a lot of sense. Well, uh, I've just gotten word um, that we have a, a special additional guest, uh, one of your broadcast partners, Cole Kubelik, uh, is joining us. And uh, we're going to get him a, a second to, to, to get uh, into the room here. But uh, tell us more about, about uh, were you a fan? Uh, obviously, you've been a college football fan your whole life. But when you were yeah. a kid, did you turn the TV on during December and watch bowl season? And, 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 and do you ever think to yourself, wow, now I'm calling these games? Yeah, 100%. And, and I learned, I grew up in the Midwest and I live in Atlanta now. So, um, you know, I grew up a big eight guy, a big eight, big 12, um, Missouri, and then obviously the great Nebraska teams of the 90s, Oklahoma and the 80s, especially. So the Orange Bowl was always the big bowl game in our house, like the Orange at night after the Rose in the afternoon, Don Cricky, Merlin Olson, like the, the broadcasters, the voices, I just that felt like a big game to me. And in the cold of Columbia, Missouri, watching a game being played, you know, in Miami at the orange bowl felt like it was a world away. And so watching those teams that I watched during the course of a regular big eight or big 12 season, and then seeing them on that grand stage certainly stood out. It wasn't until I moved down to sec country that I learned that a lot of my friends and guys, my age thought the same way of the sugar bowl. And so with the, with the, natural tie-ins that we've had over the years it's it seems to make sense that a lot of that draw can be regional well tom this is this has been great and just when i thought this show couldn't get any better uh cole kubelik has joined us we're a good thing we got uh, all of the things we had to say about him out of the way before he's here uh cole, <laughs> Most of them positive. The show. <laughs> hey thanks for having me i'm sure tom uh, has slandered my name as much as humanly possible no, he was very complimentary. I, I was, I was surprised, but we'll see if that holds true when we talk offline. But uh, we've been talking about uh, college football today and the parody in the game. We've been talking a lot about uh, bowl season. This podcast is called Bowl Season Stories, uh, and and for, for those of you, you listening, Cole Kubelik is the SEC Network college football field analyst, former Auburn Tiger. Um, one question I want to ask you that I already asked Tom is about the the chemistry between the two of you and Jordan Rogers on the sec Saturday night, it looks like you guys have so much fun together. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I think it comes first and foremost, just because we are legitimate friends outside of being work friends. I mean, Tom and I talk multiple times a week, even in the off season, uh, same thing with Jordan, you know, those guys, when they're in Birmingham, they come by my house. Um, you know, they, they know about my family. I know about their family. So it's, we don't just show up for football games, do some prep, and then, hey, how can we sound good on a broadcast? It's We, we talk to each other almost every day, and I, th I hope that comes across. I think that's one of the reasons that we do have um, the rapport that we have and the camaraderie that we have. And I think we all have similar interests in wanting to be the best at what we do, want to be a little bit creative. We all think outside the box a little bit. We try to be a little bit different, separate ourselves from everybody else. So it works. And... I, I don't think any of us feel like the other know a lot more about certain things than we do. We all know our strengths and weaknesses and we try to help everybody be the best at what they can be as it pertains to those. So, I mean, also it's just fun. Those two guys are fun to be around. They're fun to call a game with. They're, they're fun to talk about football with. And, you know, we've had the good fortune to be together for multiple years now, which also helps a lot of guys get moved around and bumped around. And you know, we've had the ability to do a lot of games together. And I think that also helps with, just our confidence of Tom being able to say, 
in the middle of a, at the end of a play, middle of a game, he wants to throw it down to me and ask a random question or same thing with Jordan. So I can ask Jordan or Tom a question. It's, we all have an understanding that everybody is trying to accomplish the same thing. And we get along like, I mean, I call them my work family because they kind of are, you know, I spend as much time or more time around those guys in the fall than I do my actual family, same thing with them. So all those things I think play into why we hopefully sound like we actually like one another during games. <laughs> well, that all that stuff is very evident. It's uh, you guys are a lot of fun to watch. Now you played center at Auburn from 96 to 2000. Uh, and you played in the 2001 Citrus Bowl against Michigan, 1998 Peach Bowl against Clemson. Tell us about those bowl game experiences. Yeah, I also made the bowl trip to the Poolan Weed Eater Bowl my redshirt freshman year in Shreveport, okay. Louisiana, where I first learned how to um, – I learned what, what river boats were and learned about um, – Learned about how to navigate Treeport, Louisiana, which when you were under 21 wasn't really very exciting. Um, also learned uh, that you can see Vanilla Ice perform twice in a, a week and a half live because we were able to pull that off somehow, some way. But uh, there wasn't a lot of other stuff going on. Also learned that I didn't I really have an idea how loud the cannon was at an Army football game when it went off and they scored a touchdown. So I was able to sort of get my first experience, you know, witnessing that. Um, Peach Bowl in Atlanta was great. I mean, just being, I mean, they, they put us up right there downtown Atlanta, which may have not have been the best idea from an ops perspective, um, but we enjoyed that, had a lot of fun with that. Um, but I think because of the proximity to Georgia that Auburn has, we had a lot of guys from Georgia. So it was a lot of, you know, hey, we're going to my buddy's house or my friend's got this set up for us. So that was a big part of that trip. Um, obviously the Citrus Bowl was just incredible being the last college game that I played in. Um, my senior year being able to go down there, we went to SeaWorld, you know, got the pet Shamu and got to do some cool things. Obviously Orlando is, there's always going to be activities you can take part in, but a lot of, a lot of wonderful bowl memories that I had during my time at Auburn and, uh, being able to go be a part of those games. It's interesting. Most of the comments you made were all off the field, uh, activities, you know, which is, you know, we hear that a lot on this show. Uh, the average fan, I think, turns the TV on in December. They watch uh, another game for three hours and they don't understand that you guys are, you know, the teams are in town for four or five days. You're there with your teammates, especially the seniors, right? A lot of them, it's the last football game they're ever going to play in their life. They're at some unique destination with their friends, their teammates, and it's really memories that last, last a lifetime. You touched on some of them. Any, any other you know, peel, peel back the curtain for us a little bit. Maybe, maybe there's some stories you can't share, uh, but uh, tell, tell us some more about your bowl, bowl experiences and, and your memories. There are more than I cannot share than I can share <laughs> um, because, you know, you're, you're a college kid and you're going to these destination cities and it's obviously you, you have time to be able to enjoy yourself, which during the regular season, wherever you're playing, that's what you really don't have. You don't have the time and ability to be able to go out and hang out with your friends a whole lot. So, and then you do it somewhere else that you've never been, just makes it more enjoyable. Um, probably thing that sticks out to me the most in the Citrus Bowl, we lost that game to Michigan. So that on the field, our offense had a lot of success. So that was cool. That was fun. Um, but the, um, the thing that sticks out to me most in that game, you know, I didn't, I was six string center going into my senior year because of, a disagreement that I had with my offensive line coach going into the season. You can imagine we didn't have six centers. So that was, that was fun. 
And I ended up, I didn't start until the Iron Bowl was my first start that year and started the Iron Bowl, the SEC championship game, and then started the bowl game. Well, the night before the game, we had kind of our team banquet. And that was where they announced the team captains that year that the team had voted on. So that's obviously one thing that I don't think I'll ever forget is you know, being, being voted by my peers, by my teammates as a permanent team captain for that 2000 Auburn team when I didn't start until you know, the last game of the regular season, which that one was pretty cool because it was the first Iron Bowl in Tuscaloosa in 100 years. And then obviously SEC championship game is always going to be cool. And then, of course, being able to go to the Citrus Bowl and play uh, a New Year's Day bowl game was pretty special as well. So, but that's that's probably the part of any bowl trip that I remember more than anything else. Like I could tell you about the seven and a half hour car ride from uh, Huntsville, Alabama to Pontotoc, Mississippi to get in with two other teammates. And then well, actually Huntsville to Russellville to pick up a teammate, Russellville to Pontotoc to pick up two more teammates and then Pontotoc to Shreveport, Louisiana. It was a long car ride, but it was fun doing that with my teammates. So there are a lot of little things like that that are enjoyable that, that you won't forget, that you'll always remember. But that last night in Orlando, probably my biggest bold memory that I'll, I'll take away forever. Well, I know you guys are busy. Tom, thanks so much for the conversation we had earlier in the show. Cole, thanks for hustling to join us. Uh, pleasure hearing from both of you. Uh, thanks for being on the show. Good luck to you the rest of the season. It's going to be a great uh, final few weeks, and I look forward to watching you guys. Absolutely. Thanks for having Nick, us. Yeah, Nick, thanks for having us. And, and uh, with the influence that you have in the bowl world especially, if you could work on that Rose Bowl assignment for our crew, I know Cole would be just as appreciative as I would. Yeah, consider it done. Consider it done. <laughs> and speaking of which, maybe I could help you out in a couple of minutes because we are going to take a short break. And we will be right back with the college football playoff executive director, Bill Hancock. Stay with us. The first goal of every college football team at the beginning of the season is to win six games and qualify for a bowl game. They've punched their ticket and now are officially bowl bound. We're very excited to announce a new tradition with official bowl season gear given out in the locker room moments after winning that sixth game. T-shirts that celebrate the achievement. Fans can join the celebration by going online to bowlseason.com where they can order their own bowl-bound t-shirt. Bowl season is a celebration of college football. So celebrate with your team when they become bowl eligible. Welcome back to Bowl Season Stories, where we welcome college football playoff executive director, Bill Hancock. Bill, welcome to the show. Hey, Nick. Well, thank you for having me on. Bill, you know, you, you and I have known each other a long time. We've, we've been in meetings together. We've had dinner. We see each other at events. Uh, it's much, much bigger highlight for me to see your wife, Nikki, than to see you. I got to be honest. Uh, but when you know somebody that long and that well, you never read their bio. Like, why am I going to look up your bio? I've known Bill forever. But as I was preparing for this, I looked at it. And gosh, Bill, you first full-time director of the NCAA Final Four. First executive director of the BCS, first executive director of the CFP. Your career spans five decades. You began as an SID at Oklahoma. You ran the Final Four for 13 years, served on the U.S. Olympic Committee. I'm running out of breath, Bill. Hall of Fame inductee at multiple places, including the state of Oklahoma. Uh, you were a former newspaper editor. You wrote two books. Uh, what's left, Bill? Is there anything you haven't done? Uh, let's add to that friend of Nick Carparelli. Oh yeah. That's well at the bottom of the list, Bill. I promise you. <laughs> well, you know, I, I've been, I've been very lucky. And uh, 
this kind of right place at right time. And you learn to treat people right, um, treat people the way you want to be treated. You make mistakes, you, you, you move on, you learn. And uh, I've, I've just been very lucky. I've had a great, great life and a great career. Well, college athletics has, has been lucky to have you around, Bill, that's for sure. Now, the name of this podcast is Bowl Season Stories. You've obviously been to many bowl games in your career. Any idea how many games you've been to in person? Oh, my goodness, uh, 40, 50. And I have this dream, Nick. I would love to see how many bowl games I could attend in one year. Um, that would be fun. One time I looked at the schedule and thought, okay, I can do this and this and this. Uh, but yeah, that'd be fun. And somebody's probably done it, uh, but I, I'd like to try myself. It's it like, be the, hard. you know, it's like sort of like going to all the major league baseball stadiums, you know, it's something you, you need to do in your life. Yeah, for sure. It'd be hard to get to all of them in one year. You'd need Couldn't, a, a pr private, uh, private plane uh, sponsor for that. Yeah. I have a private plane. It's orange and blue and it says Southwest on the side. <laughs> now I, I know you, uh, value the role that bowl games play in the current CFP cotton bowl and orange bowl are both semifinals this year. Uh, other years, it's the peach, the sugar, the fiesta, the Rose bowl. How important has it been to lean on the experiences and the expertise that those bowls have in making the CFP semifinal such a success? Well, of course it's important. Um, bowl operators know how to run games and they're great at it. Uh, they know how to bring in the community uh, security, uh, obviously police and fire and all that, but more so uh, reach out into the community and, and have community involvement. Uh, I think if you're a traveling event, the, the last thing you want to do is just go into the community, have the event and leave. Um, you you want to have roots in the community. And that's what the bowls bring for us. Uh, in addition to the great tradition, the great branding that, that comes with bowl games. Now, I know you probably can't comment too much on possible expansion to the CFP. Uh, discussions are continuing. Uh, they happen in the late summer. They've continued into the fall. And I know there's more discussions to be had. But what can you tell us about the mindset of where you expect things to go? Any idea of a timeline? Well, we'd like to be finished by the end of the year. Um, if we want to expand before the end of this 12-year contract. Uh, you know, we're, we're just th three years from what three years away from the time that we would we would need to do that. So there will be issues with uh, not issues, but things we need to accomplish uh, dates of games. Um, semifinals would probably have to change the, 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 the calendar for our games. If we added another round or two would be moved later into January. So we're, we're going to run out of time before too long to make those changes happen. So I'm I think we're all looking at finish this up by the end of the year one way or the other. Now, that is if we want to expand again before the 12 years, this current 12-year contract ends. If we decide, no, we don't want to do it that soon, we want to wait till 26, um, 26 regular season, then we have a couple of more years to wait. Well, you and I, Bill, both have a lot of bosses. I have 43 that run the various bowl games across the country, and it it was important to them that we make it clear uh, that any possible expansion of the CFP uh, it would be our preference that they be included in bowl games. Uh, as you mentioned, the bowls have been a valuable partner and asset to you. What's your view on the importance of keeping bowl games part of the process towards crowning a CFP national champion? Well, clearly the working group that's established the recommendation for, for the 12 team tournament uh, said, we want to have the quarterfinals and semifinals in bowl games. Um, uh, bowls are an important part of college football. I think we all get that. 
And boy, you talk about your your number of bosses. I don't have near as many as you, but but I think all of us have have bosses who have feelings about different aspects of what we do. And there's a strong prevalence in, in our world for for maintaining the bowls, and uh, you know, top to bottom, not, not just our bowl games. We get that, and, and as you know, we're we're a bowl game. Our championship game is a bowl game. We're proud of that. We're proud members of bowl season. Uh, but let's remember what what the bowls top to bottom provide for college athletics, the experience they provide for, for student athletes is unmatched. No other sport does for student athletes experiences what we do in bowl games. And I'm really proud of that. Yeah, I think we all are. I mean, college football's postseason is unique. I think it'll always be unique. And, uh, you know, personally, I've, I've said many times, it's, there's two really equal uh, and really important components. It's important to crown a national champion. So what you do at the CFP is uh, so good for the game of college football, but there's 130 FBS institutions, and I, I don't care how big the playoff gets; they're not all going to be in, in in position uh, to get one of those spots, and they they deserve a meaningful postseason experience. Uh, for they sure. do, and, and and you know, Nick, I think people don't don't understand some things about the bowls, uh, the matchups. You're going to play an opponent that you probably never played before in many cases, and may never play again. Uh, so those matchups are really cool, and and. For the players getting to go to a different part of the country where you're the talk of the town for a week uh, or so. When I talk to former football players about their college experience, invariably they will say one of the things they remember the most was their bowl trip. And I think we need to cherish that. Now, you mentioned the CFP National Championship is a part of bowl season, but it is a standalone game at the same time. You've been able to utilize some fantastic host committees. Uh, this year, it's in Indianapolis. Uh, I believe it's L.A. the following year, Houston after that. How has that process been uh, in terms of working with these great markets? You know, we, we, we envision our staff as the bowl staff. Uh, we run the game. We run it every year. And it just happens that we take our bowl to different cities every year. And uh, it works out great. We've been very lucky to have a, a host committees whose, whose duty, frankly, is to welcome people to the community and fulfill the community's obligations that were made as part of the bidding process. Um, we've had terrific host committees, and, and well, you, you know all of them. Um, we just finished with Miami, uh, did a great job under very trying circumstances. My goodness. Well, let's hope we never have to do Again, what we had to do last uh, last year, but Eric Palms and committee just stood right up and did a great job. Here in Indianapolis, the circumstance is different because we're working with a host committee that doesn't put on a bowl game, uh, but they know how to do big events. Um, they've had eight Final Four, Super Bowl, of course, and uh, this community in Indianapolis is just wraps its arms around sporting events. And I'm really looking forward to the football community coming to Indianapolis and experiencing what the basketball community has experienced. I think they've had eight Final Fours here. And it, it'll just be really cool to have the, the football community get that same feeling. Yeah, it now, will of be course, for sure. you, you know about Indianapolis with the great Big Ten Championship game event every year. So it's not just a basketball city. They also know how to do football. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned earlier how many bowl games you've been to. Any bowl game moments or memories that really stick out in your mind that you'll never forget moments where you, you think to yourself, I was there, I was part of college football history. Oh my goodness. Well, my first uh, bowl game was a sugar bowl game in the old stadium. Uh, so I think you, your, your, your first 
bowl game is, is just something you'll never forget. Uh, it was when I was on the staff at Oklahoma back in 1971. And then we went back again the next year. Uh, I think we were the only team that ever played in two Sugar Bowls in the same year. <laughs> we played uh, December 31 one year and then January 1 the next or vice versa. So that was a great experience. And getting to go to the old Sugar Bowl Stadium. Um, I, you, you, you think about the pageantry of bowl games. And, and that, that, that's so important. The hospitality, the friends that we've all made through the years through, through, through bowl games. Uh, as far as on the field, uh, I guess my signature moment would, would, be, would have been standing there in that corner when Vince Young uh, scored the winner against USC in, in one of the great games of all time. But I, I love bowls, always have. When I was growing up, we, we didn't get TV in our community very well. And so we would drive to our big city, Oklahoma City, and, uh, and kind of camp out in the Skirvin Hotel all day and watch bowl games. I was probably seven years old. Never forget that. And those are the kind of memories that we're still build, building in, in the bowl world. And let's keep doing it. It's amazing how many guests on the show, Bill, talk about those memories. And, and they, they have so many memories, period, in their life. But for some reason, those bowl game experiences just stick out in their mind. And, and we, we talk about how it's, it's, you know, the average fan might turn the TV on and watch it for three hours. But there's so much more to it. In fact, this is a big week for you. Uh, you're holding a press conference in Indianapolis on Thursday, I believe, uh, to announce the musical acts for the championship weekend, as well as details around the great fan events like the playoff fan central at the convention center. Uh, point being, if you're in Indianapolis, you don't have even have to have a ticket to the game to be involved. Um, how cool is, uh, is all that stuff around the game and how much is that a part of the experience? Oh, it's so cool. And back in the old days, you know, we just unlocked the stadium gates and let people in to watch the game. And those games are gone. Uh, and, and, and great. Um, you have to provide something else for fans to do. So we have the concert series, we have the interactive fan festival, uh, 5K run, a neat charity event, Taste of the Championship. And um, it, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be a terrific event, terrific weekend in Indianapolis. A, really a celebration of college football. That, that's our goal, twofold goal. One is to create memories and good experience for the student athletes, and then also celebrate the game of college football. Now, at the beginning of the show, we talked about your long career, uh, and you've been a mentor to many people over those years. But think back to when you started. Uh, who were some of the influential men, men, mentors that you had as a young sports executive? And what were some of the best career lessons that you learned at a young age that, that maybe even after all these years, you, st you still think about? Oh, my goodness. Uh, let me start with bold people who were important to me. Uh, Phil Scoville, um, Wilbur Evans, uh, Dan McNamara, um, the people at the Sugar Bowl, Sugar Bowl committee members more than, more than staff members, uh, who really got me, guided me on the right to, on, on the, to, to start down the right path. Conference commissioners, uh, Dave Gavitt. Wayne Duke, Chuck Ninas, Tom Hansen, uh, led by example. They didn't have to preach. Uh, Roy Kramer never preached. Just, just, you just watched them and you learn what to do. Um, we had a business manager at Oklahoma, a guy named Ken Ferris. Uh, again, you, you just, you knew, you knew how the business worked. Um, I learned a lot from sports writers through the years. Um, <laughs> some, some of which I learned what not to do. 
And you know, that's really important. You learn as much what to do from watching people as what not to do. And, and now we, people like you and me, are in a position of being the teachers, but, but let's hope that people look at us and say, I want to be, I want to do what Nick Carparelli does. I want to behave like Nick Carparelli. That's my goal. <laughs> the college football playoff national championship game is scheduled for Monday, January 10th at 8 p.m. Eastern time at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, Indiana. The game will be broadcast on ESPN. Bill, thank you so much for being on the show, sharing your thoughts and your insights for us. I know we're all excited uh, for this bowl season capped off by the college football national championship game to have a full stadium, a full week of events. Uh, I can't wait. Uh, good luck to you with all of that. Thank you, Nick. And again, thanks for having me on and uh, best wishes for all the bowl games this year. And uh, just remember someday I'm going to come knocking on your door to say, I want to come to your game as part of my attempt to go see all 43 bowl games in one year. You're welcome. Anytime <laughs> you have a, you have a lifetime all access pass bill. <laughs> And thank all of you for listening to this week's Bowl Season Stories podcast. Please join us in two weeks when we will welcome another lineup of great guests. If you like the show, we'd appreciate you dropping a five-star rating for the podcast. And as always, you can follow all the podcast and Bowl Season news on our website, bowlseason.com, and on social media at Bowl Season. Thanks for listening.